Welcome to Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Bondi Radio. This is Talking Buildings, a Sibsi Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus, the Sibsi ANZ Regional Chair and the host of Talking Buildings. As always, I'm joined by the ever-smiling and cheerful co-host, Sharon Pistonji, Sibsi BDM. Thanks for joining us, Sharon. It's great to see you again. So what have you been up to since our last podcast, Sharon? Hey, Paul. It's really great to be broadcasting and reaching out to our listeners from the world-famous Bondi Beach. It's a little wild outside just now with the storms bringing torrential rain, but we won't let that dampen our spirits. Well, I've been focusing on our Young Engineers Network, reaching out lately to universities and also launching our uh, 2018 Young Engineers Awards. We've also been recording Building Blocks, our new online training modules. For further details, please visit our website, www.sibsi.org.au, where you can learn more about this, plus all the other exciting initiatives we are working on. Thanks, Sharon. I'm looking forward to hearing more about Building Blocks, which will be of particular interest to all our members in assisting their continued education and keep up to speed as well on new and exciting technologies. Yes, indeed, the storms always make me laugh as when commuting, it brings a forest of umbrellas in the mornings. You have to have your wits about you on your way to work, which can be a bit tricky. I particularly love the the spectacular thunder and lightning storms here in Australia. And the light shows it brings reminds me how powerful Mother Nature can be with the force and especially the energy that it demonstrates, which nicely leads us up to the theme for this episode. Tell us more, Sharon. For sure, Paul. In this episode which has the catchy title, Save Energy, Save Assets of the Future. Ooh, sounds intriguing, Sharon. So, who on earth do we know that knows about energy in the built environment and could share their knowledge and experience in this fantastic theme? Well, Paul, I'm really excited to announce that we're joined today by Steve Hennessy, Director at AHA Engineering Services and National Manager of Sustainability at WT Consulting. His passion for energy efficiency is fed by the belief that, given the reality of climate change, there has never been a more critical time for building owners and managers to implement realistic and achievable sustainability strategies. Steve devotes his time to team leadership with a particular focus on energy and life cycle optimization. This emphasis on sustainability has been developed over almost 30 years most of it as an engineer and then director of AHA management. Um, During this period, he was at the front end of sustainability movement, including roles as partner support manager with the pioneering organization CETA, assisting organizations to identify and implement energy-saving opportunities. Fantastic, Sharon. I also understand that Steve's undertaken a significant number of neighbours' energy and water ratings, where he's also recognised as one of Australia's most prominent and prolific and proficient assessors. And as a consequence, he has been engaged to provide training on behalf of the scheme administrators. Steve's extensive experience in design, commissioning, operation, auditing and management of buildings, as well as building engineering services, continues to be leveraged to the benefit of a wide range of clients. Thanks for joining us, Steve, and welcome to Talking Buildings. 
Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Sharon. It's uh, absolutely great to be here. And you've got two for the price of one uh, because I'm uh, ably assisted by my dog, Alfie. <laughs> so if you hear barking uh, at any stage, um, I promise it's not, uh, not me. But look, <laughs> thanks very much for uh, inviting me to uh, uh, come along. And I look forward to uh, discussing the theme, uh, Save Energy, Save Assets of the Future, Save the Dogs. <laughs> Fantastic, Steve. So before we jump in, we might as well rewind the cassette and play it again from the very beginning. So back to those black and white days in your case. This might take a while as we've got a lot, to, a lot of tape to track back on. So when you were a kid, did you aspire to be an engineer or were there other careers that appealed to you more? Um, yeah, interesting. I think it's a, it's a bit sad, actually, and this is, this is something that, that the engineering profession is, uh, really needs to raise its game in. But when I was a kid, I never really thought about engineering. It never, never mm-hmm. really occurred to me that uh, uh, that was a, a viable career. Yeah. I mean, it certainly wasn't as exciting as, as say, being a train driver or a fireman. <laughs> um, which I think uh, you know a, a lot of kids uh, aspire to. Yeah. But actually, before I got into engineering, no, I, 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 I was very keen, and this might sound a bit sad, I was quite keen to go into the advertising uh, industry. Oh, I really? thought that would be a really good, uh, uh, a good career move. I, uh-huh. I saw people in the advertising industry as uh, driving flash cars and... Uh, uh, and not doing very much, and that kind of kind of appealed to me. Yeah. Then I moved away from uh, the thoughts of going into advertising, and, and I actually seriously contemplated uh, a career in nursing. Nursing? Uh, yep. Yeah. Really? I don't know why. <laughs> maybe because my mother was a nurse. Okay. But, uh, and maybe because I thought it would be a springboard into engineering. Um, <laughs> don't know. Uh, and then um, uh, I thought, well, actually, I wouldn't mind going to sea because my dad had been at sea. My dad was uh, a, a, in the Merchant Navy and uh, oh, eventually wow. became a master of, uh, of, of a big cargo ship. Yeah. Uh, and I looked at uh, doing a, a cadet ship with um, one of the oil companies on a super tanker. Wow. Um, it's probably just as well I didn't um, because uh, I, I get seasick just sitting in the bath. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, um, uh, eventually um, uh, I thought, right, none of these careers are for me. Um, uh, what else should I do? Oh, I see. Well, I wasn't expecting that at all. I'm really impressed. Well. So how on earth did you end up becoming an engineer, Steve? Oh, look, that's actually quite boring. Um, I, I was uh, doing a Saturday job uh, for a, um, uh, a couple of um, people who ran a hi-fi shop. Uh, and I quite liked uh, uh, this. And in fact, I, I, I thought, right, this is my future. I'll, I'll do sales. I'll sell hi-fi. And my dad was appalled. Uh, and he said, no, son, you need to get yourself an apprenticeship. And um, he persuaded me to apply for a technician's role. Mm-hmm. with um, Hayden's oh, yeah. uh, in, in the UK. Uh, and Hayden's had a, uh, a division uh, called uh, Hayden Drysus. They specialised in, in things like paint spraying equipment for the British automobile uh, industry at the time, as mm-hmm. it was. Uh, so I applied for that and um, got knocked back, not, not because I was no good, but because um, uh, the automobile industry was in decline and the company had, um, uh, couldn't justify a, a cadetship. Uh-huh. So my dad said, well, it's a big company. Surely they've got something else. And uh, he had me apply uh, for a role with a division called Hayden Carrier Ross. Right. Um, and that was it, really. I, 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 I did what my dad suggested. 
yeah. um, and uh, uh, signed up for a, a four-year in indentured uh, training uh, with Hayden Carrier Ross. Uh, and they were an interesting company, um, a division of Hayden, but they specialised in the paper industry. Uh, so I was heavily involved in things like paper drying hoods and, uh, wow. uh, and, and what have you. So uh, a strange thing, but that, that's how it, all, uh, how it all started. So in retrospect, um, looking back at, at how you initially joined the industry and where you are now, if you could jump into a time travel device, do you think you would do it all again the same way or would you change anything? And what advice would you give your younger self? Well, uh, there's another part to this story, actually, <laughs> um, which, which kind of no complicates <laughs> things. Yeah. So, so whilst I did this, this four-year uh, indentured um, uh, traineeship, um, uh, that, that made me a technician, um, the, the part of the company I was in, involved with um, uh, shut down 25% of the operation, and I was in that 25%. So um, I was actually made redundant at the end of my... Uh, um, apprenticeship, mm -hmm. um, went off um, and started working contract. Right. Uh, and I was working on uh, a big hotel in London. It was a fantastic job. Um, but I was working really as a, as, as a draftsman come technician. I wasn't an engineer. Yeah. Um, and uh, for some reason, um, a, a friend of mine said, look, what we need to do, Steve, because we're, we're both young guys, is we need to take up all the most dangerous pursuits that are available uh, and give them a go. <laughs> and first cab off the rank was parachuting. Really? So we went off and did um, uh, a parachute jump. Uh, we did uh, two days of training, mm -hmm. uh, which you had to do in those, those days. You, you were meant to jump on the second day. Wind yeah. was too bad, so we had to come back the following weekend. And um, unfortunately, I... I I landed quite badly. In fact, um, uh, the parachute jump itself was, was okay. It was the last quarter inch that was the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and I broke my leg in six places. Oof, ouch. So not a, not, a good, um, uh, not a good thing to do. And, and that <laughs> left me in hospital. It actually left me in hospital for a, for a few weeks. And while I was in hospital, I, um, I contemplated where I was uh, going. And, and from my hospital bed, I applied to some universities uh -huh. uh, to do engineering as a, as a degree. Ah, okay. So if I look back on <laughs> how I got into <laughs> engineering, um, whilst obviously breaking my leg in six places um, uh, certainly helped put me on, on the right path, <laughs> that's probably the bit that I try and change. If I could have had that inspiration uh, <laughs> without breaking my leg in six places, I would have... Uh, and, and, and if I could go back in time and give myself any advice, um, I would say in that last quarter inch, look out! <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No doubt. So what brought you to Australia? And um, did you always plan on putting down roots and staying here permanently? Yeah, that's a, uh, an interesting thing. I, uh, I, I can remember at a very young age being absolutely fascinated about Australia. So living in, uh, uh, living in the south of uh, London, um, I think one of the things that appealed to me is I'd read somewhere that Australians have up to six eggs for breakfast. Uh, and I thought that's a wonderful Ooh. way to, to, to live your life. <laughs> that was um, your inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it turned out not to be, not, not to be true. Uh, and, and in fact, there were a lot of other um, uh, romantic ideas that I had about uh, uh, Australia that were, 
were, were kind of changed when I got here. But, but what actually happened was I, um, uh, I did get to university. I studied at, uh, uh, at Liverpool in the UK. Mm-hmm. And when, um, uh, when it was coming up to the end of my degree, I decided I'd take a year out uh, and go backpacking around the world. Okay. Um, and uh, I um, went through Southeast Asia, uh, through a number of countries, absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Got to Australia, and I thought, gee, it doesn't get better than this. Uh, and I ended up um, uh, staying. In fact, in those, those days, it was actually possible to apply from within the country. Uh, so I applied for my uh, residency after a, quite a short time uh, in, the, in, in the country and um, uh, haven't looked back uh, since. Wow. Can I say, though, those romantic ideas, um, <laughs> when I was travelling, I, uh, I met a girl from Gosford, and uh-huh. um, uh, I, I met, met her in, uh, in China, and she said, look, when you come to Australia, you, you, must, uh, uh, you must come out to, to Gosford. Yeah. And my ideas of Australia was that outside of the, of, of the capital cities, everything was kind of red dust <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, very, very warm. And I, I thought that, you know, the train would pull up into Gosford and they'd have to bring the steps out to get you down from the train. It was uh, <laughs> that kind of place. Little did I know it was just uh, really an extension of, uh, uh, of Sydney, uh, although I suspect the people from Gosford might, might take issue with, uh, with, with, with that. So um, Australia was a little bit different, and no, yeah. uh, people don't eat six eggs for breakfast. <laughs> and how long ago was that, Steve? When was that? So I came out in 88, uh, so the bicentennial year, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually came out uh, in November um, uh, 88. Much simpler times, I think, uh, uh, would be fair to say, and um, uh, uh, getting a job was not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, as, even as a backpacker, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't very difficult. There was uh, plenty of work around, and um, yeah. there was this this kind of attitude um, uh, that basically everyone was given a given a go, given yeah. a chance, and um, I took full opportunity of that. Awesome. So you got no no plans to go back. You always had the, the incentive to come across here to Australia and just not go back to the UK. Well, uh, no, I, I I actually had um, uh, I, I think quite a good job lined up back in the UK. Yeah. Um, so I had plenty to, to um, go back for. Um, it was just, as I say, I, I, I kind of thought it really doesn't get better than this. Yeah. I should say, when I, when, I, um, when I did arrive, I, was, I, I do consider myself to be extremely lucky. I mean, I came out as a, um, as a backpacker. I had lots of options. Yeah. Um, I worked with, uh, one of the first people I worked with uh, came out as a refugee. Um, and his situation was that, that, that if he wasn't accepted and he was sent back uh, to where he'd, he'd come from, the, um, the prospects for him were horrendous. His, uh, yeah. his uncle had been um, shot and uh, uh, his um, family were uh, uh, very much hiding. Mm-hmm. Whereas here I was from, from the UK. <laughs> I, you know, could, yeah, if I was, I was sent back, it, it wasn't um, too big an issue. But I'm really glad that... that uh, I was allowed to stay. And the family <laughs> were okay with that? Just mm. put in a call. Oh, Mum, Dad, not coming home now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, look, that was a difficult one. Um, uh, I, I think they probably wanted the, 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 the best for me. I suspect they, they'd prefer it if I was a, 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 a bit closer. But at that time, my brother had uh, been in Australia for a while and, and then moved oh, okay. uh, back to the UK, and he was just about to move over to the 
to the States. My dad had been at sea for many years, so he knows what it's like to uh, yeah. uh, like to um, uh, travel. I did um, when I was here. I was at a, um, uh, a backpackers in Kings Cross, and, and that's actually where I where I met my future wife. Um, mm-hmm. My future wife is is, is uh, Scottish. Hey. Um, yes, yeah, say no more. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks, Paul. That's all right. Uh, I think um, my, my views and, and her views are a, a, a little bit different. I, um, In what way? Uh, oh, look, I think this is, uh, uh, this is just a fantastic country. It's a great place to, to bring up kids. I mean, we're sitting here at Bondi Beach looking out over the, um, uh, o- over the ocean. Um, uh, there's not much like this in 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 the UK. Doesn't get any better. One or two people will uh, take <laughs> umbrance with me, but um, uh, but um, I think my, my wife feels the the, the draw of um, uh, the UK a lot stronger than than, than I do, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and I think um, she'd be uh, uh, much happier if we were, if we were back in the uh, the UK. Yeah. Our kids, though, mm-hmm. our kids, um, they aligned with their mother oh. uh, <laughs> until recently. Ah. Until recently, um, so we go back to the UK um, quite frequently, and, and recently my um, my eldest daughter has been at university over there, Strathclyde, um, sings Strathclyde's praises, incidentally, thinks it's a fantastic uh, yeah. university. Um, but uh, after uh, after six months over there, she's convinced herself uh, that she wants to stay in Australia as the climate is much more to her liking. <laughs> Uh, and my my son is um, uh, more than happy to um, uh, to not move anywhere. He's mm-hmm. quite happy to travel a bit, but uh, this is very much his uh, his home. My middle daughter, I don't know. I mm-hmm. don't know about her. I think um, uh, the thought of going to the UK, if it's a long way from me, she'd be quite happy with that. <laughs> Brilliant. So coming from the UK myself, I've uh, also noticed a significant difference in regards to the quality of workmanship on building sites, for example. So from your perspective, Steve, was there a big difference to the way building services were designed and installed in comparison back in the day? Oh, yeah, it was huge. I, I couldn't believe it when I first got here. Um, my first uh, job was on, a, um, uh, on an office building in North Sydney. Mm-hmm. And um, I walked onto site. The first thing, it was a six-storey building, and I could walk from the top floor down to the bottom floor, not hear, hear English spoken once. Oh, wow. There were there was so many trades from from so many different uh, nationalities. Yeah, um, uh, all Australian, um, presumably by now. But um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it was quite uh, quite interesting. But the, the the quality that I'd been used to, so um, uh, very structured um, uh, cabling and and uh, ductwork and pipework runs. So you yeah. were allocated so much space in the ceiling, mm-hmm. uh, and you had to work within those zones. None of that existed. It seemed to be first in, best dressed. <laughs> and um, uh, putting cables through. I mean, the the, the cables seemed to be thrown across the uh, uh, a, a, across the ceiling. Um, if you were lucky, they'd be supported every now and again. Um, but it wasn't unusual to see the the, the ceiling start to sag a bit. Yeah. Un- under the weight of uh, cables and things, and that, that was completely alien to me. Um, but the strange thing was, it all worked. <laughs> it, it just worked. It was yeah. um, uh, maybe it was that she'll be right uh, right. kind of uh, uh, <laughs> men- mentality. But it, um, um, but it all all seemed to work. So yes, it was it was a bit of an eye opener. Uh-huh. The other thing that really surprised me was uh, in the UK, 
Um, we would probably be um, a little bit relaxed about uh, designing heating systems mm -hmm. because that's what we did. But when it came to designing air conditioning, yeah. um, you, you tended to be very, very thorough and um, very involved. Uh -huh. uh, and here it seemed to be the opposite way around. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, couple of cup, couple of horsepower here, and uh, uh, that'll do that job and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I'd say, well, how do you know? Oh, and they'd pull out their cigarette packet and they'd have the calcs written <laughs> on the back of it. <laughs> so it was, um, that, that, was, uh, that was quite strange uh, yeah. as well. And did you try and do anything about it? Or could you do anything about it? Um, at the time, um, uh, I wasn't really in that role. My, my first job uh, was, uh, was actually to do as-built as uh, drawings. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that, that was actually a bit of a... Um, uh, a, a bit of an eye-opener because uh, when I first arrived um, uh, on site to do the as-built, I actually found that there wasn't a lot built. Um, and uh, so uh, to um, protect my job, I, I started bossing people around and trying to get them to, uh, to do a bit of work, which really wasn't my role. It uh -huh. did become my role, <laughs> as it happened, um, when the company realised what was, what was going on on site. But... Mm -hmm. um, uh, but anyway, but but no, look, a lot of the the, the, the design had been done by others, and, and yeah. so it was a question of um, uh, following it. Yeah. Um, but as I moved into in, into other roles, yes, we certainly had uh, uh, had a, a, a say in how these uh, things should be changed. Yeah. We'll talk about other roles. You moved into energy management at a time when few people were taking it seriously. So, what exactly inspired you to do that? Yeah. Look. Um, the recession hit um, hit uh, Australia, um, uh, I think, in, in about 1990, 90, uh, late 80s, mm -hmm. uh, early 90s. Yeah. And um, the company that I was um, working for had to cut back uh, quite significantly. Um, we were doing some work for a, uh, a, a consultancy, really just a, a one-man band at, at that time, a guy called David Aaron. Uh, and David Aaron was um, ex-technical uh, director of Lend-Lease. David yeah. had made this um, discovery. Um, uh, he found that, that when he changed the way that he um, directed the maintenance on Lend-Lease's uh, shopping centres, um, yeah. uh, not only were, were, were people uh, a, a lot more um, happy with the comfort conditions, but mm -hmm. it saved a significant amount of energy. Uh, and okay. um, Dave actually asked me to to join him. He could see that, that the company I was with were um, uh, was, was struggling, so um, he suggested I come over and uh, and, and help him. Yeah. So I kind of ended up uh, in it um, uh, more by accident than by design. Mm -hmm. um, but that said, a, a lot of what he was doing was was um, uh, considered. Uh, fairly mainstream back in the UK, so it was um, uh, it was less of a, a, a thing at that time in Australia. Yeah. Um, I should also point out that um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the work that we did, the energy savings, even at that time, the energy savings that we delivered weren't generally um, uh, considered the key deliverable. Yeah. Usually the, the clients would engage us because we'd, we'd improve comfort conditions in, in, in buildings or um, uh, manage costs better. Uh -huh. the, the energy savings were um, uh, 
uh, well, I'd like to say they, they were a bonus, but because at that time people didn't put much value on it, I, I, I can only think um, it, uh, you know, the situation we were in was, was akin to peeing in a, a wetsuit. <laughs> you know, it um, gives us a lovely warm feeling, but no one else noticed. Ah, brilliant. Ah, <laughs> oh, Steve. So uh, it's <laughs> it sounds like uh, your focus initiative was leaning more towards the operational front. So can you elaborate on a little bit more on that? And did you find anything challenging in that field? Yeah, so on, on the operational um, side of things, um, back in the, the um, uh, early 90s in, in, in particular, um, I, I don't think that facilities management as such was, was um, uh, seen as a... Um, uh, as a structured career path, mm-hmm. so a lot of the uh, a lot of the facilities managers, as we would call them now, were really just um, building managers uh, then, uh-huh. um, had come out of things like um, uh, the marine environment. Um, uh, okay. They were used to uh, running tight ships, yeah. so to speak, um, but there, there wasn't a lot of um, structure around uh, the way things were done. Um, okay. my, the work that I did was uh, a, a key part of that was writing the specifications for for maintenance, right. and um, and and it would be fair to say that that uh, that was quite a challenge within the industry getting people to um, uh, to respond to that that positively. Mm-hmm. Um, the industry has changed totally since then. I, I should hasten to add, and, and yeah. um, I don't think I can claim any credit uh, for, for, <laughs> for that. But um, uh, it has changed uh, quite dramatically. I would say that with, with operational side of things, it's yeah. a different mindset, completely different mindset. In what way? Um, well, uh, I, I, I actually view a lot of the work that we were doing, uh, particularly around um, energy efficiency and the, and the like, mm-hmm. um, I would see the work we were doing as a kind of detective. Right. So there was a crime being committed in the building, and the crime was waste of energy. Yeah. And all the clues are there, but you had to trawl through the clues and try and find uh, find the um, the reasoning behind it, and, uh-huh. and then do something about it. Love it. <laughs> and that actually takes a, a different kind of skill set. Now uh-huh. I've, I've had my own company for a while in in in, in that area. Yeah. Um, and I've had lots of people work with me, and I've had lots of really really clever uh, people work with me. Uh huh. Um, and some of those people have been excellent design engineers, but actually grasping the operational side mm-hmm. um, is, is quite difficult. So I'll, gi- I'll give you an example. We, we would um, uh, walk around the site with, with, with uh, various people. You'd walk into a plant room, yeah. walk out of the plant room, turn around to, to a very competent design engineer and say, did you notice that? And they go, notice what? Well, didn't you notice the, uh, that strange noise? Mm-hmm. No. Did you notice that the outside air dampers were open? No. Okay, should they be open? And uh-huh. and that, that kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I I found relatively straightforward. Yeah. I've worked with other people that have found that relatively straightforward, but they tend to be few and, and far between. Uh-huh. Um, so um, uh, you know. It, it's a, it's a hard one a hard one to explain, but I actually think it's a uh, uh, it, it's a skill set that is quite uh, uh, quite alien to um, uh, a lot of engineers, and it's something that we um, uh, we need to improve on. I, I should say though that yeah. um, 
and, and maybe we'll talk about it later, mm -hmm. um, this whole operational side, this is something that Australia now excels in. Yeah. Uh, excels in a lot. And um, uh, and I can see that Alfie the dog completely <laughs> agrees as he jumps up on you there, Paul. Yeah, he's taking a link to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think he just wants to get out. Uh. <laughs> awesome, okay. Um, so, uh, to be honest, I've been really looking forward to this chat, Steve. I know you re really well. Um, we've had a fascinating chat revolving around the right thing from an ethics perspective with Alan Orbrart. Um, and he also had a few war stories to share. And when he found out when uh, you were scheduled to record, he, he also reminded us about the time time schedule. So we'll have to, we'll have to keep you reined in a little bit. Um, so as expected, it's been thoroughly interesting and entertaining sharing your journey. Um, however, we'll put a little, um, we'll press the pause button for a little bit and continue delving more into the technical side of Steve Hennessy after um, after we've went over to Sharon for the rapid roundup. Over to you, Sharon. It's time for Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. Yay, thanks, Paul. It's time to put today's guest in the hot seat and delve into the fascinating mind that is Steve Hennessy's. So, Steve, buckle yourself in and here we go. Uh-oh. In your opinion, which decade is was the best decade for the building services engineer? Oh, that'll be the next decade. <laughs> And if you could have a superpower for a day, what would it be and why? Uh, look, I'd like to be invisible, and I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> Use your imagination. <laughs> G-rated show. Um, what initiative has had the greatest impact on the way building services engineers do their job? Oh, oh that's... Uh, and I've got to answer that off the, off the, the top that, of my where head. Where did that one come from, Sharon? <laughs> Which initiative? I want to know have had the greatest impact on the way building service engineers. That's a tough one. Um, uh, how far back do we go? I mean, um, the design of uh, uh, sewerage <laughs> systems? Um, no, that won't cut it. Um, fresh potable water to, uh, to, to dwellings? No, I'm not <laughs> sure that'll, uh, that'll, that'll cut it in. Um, the greatest impact, I, I suppose the greatest impact comes from good education, really. Mm. Well answered, Steve. <laughs> so now this next question was anonymously called in, and I'm guessing there's a story here. But here we go. So how many white shirts would you say that you have in your wardrobe? Yeah, thanks, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> if it was anonymous. Um, I'm glad to see you've got a white shirt on today as well. Yeah, thanks, look, Steve. I, I, I think it would be fair to say that there is um, there, there are too many decisions that we have to make in our lives. So thinking about which shirt to wear uh, isn't one that I want to have. And I, I, I share that with Mr. Zuckerberg of uh, uh, Facebook fame, uh, <laughs> although he doesn't wear white, white shirts. Um, I have four white shirts that are exactly the same, mm -hmm. yeah. which um, serves me Monday to Thursday. I have the one that I am wearing now, which is my casual <laughs> white shirt for, for <laughs> Fridays yeah. uh, and I have a couple of um, dress white shirts ah. I did once wear a, uh, a blue shirt mm -hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> I had to yeah I had to pick the um, uh, the people in my office up off the floor uh, and I vowed <laughs> never to do it again <laughs> now which building services product or innovation has had the greatest environmental impact would you say Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I'm, I, um, 
let's say in the past two decades? Well, look, first of all, it, it comes back to education. So <laughs> um, you know, education is, 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 is very important. Um, you, you, I've no doubt we'll talk about it later. I'm a great fan of, of uh, performance um, uh, measurements and mm -hmm. performance rating systems. And yeah. I think that's had a profound impact on the, on the way particularly here in uh, Australia and to some extent New Zealand now, yeah. how we, um, uh, how we uh, operate and manage our buildings from an energy uh, uh, efficiency uh, perspective. Yeah, good. So now back to those black and white days of the 1920s. <laughs> what advice would you give your 18-year-old self if you went back? Uh, what, apart from um, look out? Yeah, yeah apart from look the, out. Uh, don't jump on my plane. <laughs> oh, um, look, ma maybe I should have gone into engineering uh, side a bit earlier. I don't regret doing a, um, uh, an, an apprenticeship uh, first. It gave me a good, uh, uh, a, a good grounding. But maybe I should have uh, gone into um, uh, engineering a little bit earlier and um, probably focused on the, um, uh, on, on the ops side uh, a little earlier as, uh, as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you touched on nursing before, but <laughs> if you could go back in a time machine and, and pick an alternative career so that you weren't a building services engineer, what what would you do? I've still got this hankering for that marketing and advertising. Yeah. Um, I'm not particularly <laughs> creative, but it mm -hmm. just just appeals to me. I yeah. love watching the grow and uh, transfer, and, and uh, I, I love the way that... Um, uh, companies um, persuade us to, to do certain things. I find that absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, so outside of work, how do you enjoy spending your time? Um, I'm a really, really bad golfer. I play <laughs> golf every, uh, every Sunday, first thing in the morning, oh, yeah. uh, very, very badly. Uh, I do like um, fishing. My son and I uh, go out uh, fishing uh, occasionally. Yeah. Um, used to do a lot of camping um, and um, uh, do a bit of walking. Uh, my wife is a particularly keen bushwalker. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we went up Cradle Mountain on, on Christmas Day. Nearly killed me. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the biggest fish you've ever caught? Uh, let's oh, here we go, go there. <laughs> <laughs> it was that big. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the one personal uh, ch change you've made to your daily life to reduce your carbon footprint? Um, well, there, there are a few changes, but, but uh, I, I suppose one of the things I did, and I, I really um, I, I really look back and think how stupid I was for so, for so long. Um, public transport. I used to drive absolutely everywhere, uh, yeah. and um, now I use uh, public transport um, pretty well all of the time. So much so, within um, uh, the the, um, the WT part of the, the, the company, my team um, have to get public transport everywhere. Yeah. That's that's um, uh, they have a, a, a an Opal card, and um, uh, off off they go. Um, you um, see things differently. Um, you've got plenty more time, and I think all the time I wasted in the car, mm -hmm. driving to and from work on the train, I can be getting on with other things, reading yeah. the paper, doing some work if I want to. So, um, yeah, that's probably my Public biggest transport. change. Wonderful. And can you name a place in Australia or New Zealand that you've not yet visited, but that you would like to? Oh, yeah, lots of places. But but look, I've, I've never been to the, the Red, Red Centre, even though I've been here now for 30 years. Yeah. Um, I've been all around uh, the outside of Australia, <laughs> but but not right up into the, um, into the middle. So I think that's the next uh, port of call. Great. 
And um, as a thank you for being on the show today, would you rather receive a voucher for a Formula One driving experience at the Melbourne Grand Prix circuit or a glacier heli hike in New Zealand, Fox uh, Glacier, or a spa rejuvenation day at the Sheridan in the Park? Uh, no, none, none of those. <laughs> none of those. Well, that works out well because... Uh, <laughs> I know none of them are on offer anyway, but there you go. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the inner workings of Steve Hennessy. Thanks, Steve, for those candid responses. And, Paul, back to you. Rapid Roundup. Bondi Radio. That was a fantastic roundup there with some tongue-in-cheek replies to Sharon's question, Steve. So, keeping you on your toes, and the audience are screaming back for more. So, let's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's focus back to the theme: save energy and save assets of the future. You're well known for your enthusiastic support of neighbours. How did that come about, and why are you such a fan? Yeah, well, look, um, uh, neighbours has, has, has been around for a, for a while. I actually um, uh, kind of got involved, albeit very much on the sidelines, uh, at its very very in, um, inception. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people know this, oh, yeah. but um, uh, the New South Wales government um, uh, and, and uh, their agency, CEDA, the Sustainable um, Development uh, Sustainable Energy Development Authority, were very very keen to adopt a performance rating for buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, so they engaged a, uh, a, a chap called Alan Piers. Alan, Alan Piers is from RMIT in, uh, in, in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and Alan was engaged by them uh, literally to go around the world and find the best rating system mm-hmm. um, and um, bring it back to Australia, so to speak. Yeah. And um, uh, as um, uh, someone who was involved in SIBSI at the time, we were asked to... Um, uh, give Alan some introductions in in the UK uh, mm-hmm. through our our Sibsi, uh, channel. So, Alan Alan went off uh, off around the world and um, uh, came back and he said, "Look, there's nothing, there's nothing out there that that um, he could um, uh, recommend uh-huh. uh, other than um, developing our own uh, our, yeah. our own system." That's fascinating. How long ago was that? So that would have been back in ninety six. Maybe ninety mm-hmm. six, ninety five, ninety six, somewhere, yeah. somewhere like that. And I remember going to um, some discussion groups on this, and um, uh, out of that, neighbours was uh, neighbours was uh, born. Except it wasn't neighbours in those days. Oh, it was ABGR or the Australian Building Greenhouse Rating Scheme. It rolls off the tip of your tongue. It does. It does. Um, just uh, so that you, you, you and the audience know how we came about with the term uh, neighbours, it was a little bit later. ABGR had been out for a while, was well accepted in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, it had been developed by the New South Wales um, government. Yeah. A federal government agency was looking at um, developing something that was, was probably a bit more holistic, so it looked at more than just uh, uh, energy. I think at that point, neighbours had just started to embrace water as well, but that, but that was it. Okay. Uh, and they, they had engaged an architect, um, or in fact, an architect duo, um, uh, Robert and Brenda Vale. Um, so they were UK architects who were living in, um, in New Zealand, and they, yeah. they charged them with uh, coming up with um, a, a more holistic uh, system. Okay. And um, uh, Robert Vale, he, um, 
he started off on the premise, I've got to come up with a name for this uh, rating system. What's quintessentially Australian? <laughs> uh, and at that time, Neighbours was the big thing on UK television. So uh, he, he, he started from that point and he worked it backwards until he came up with uh, the National Australian Built Environment Rating uh, System. So that's how Neighbours um, uh, got its name. But look, um, uh, back in the um, back in the early days when when Neighbours was first uh, um, uh, first out, and I'm having my photo taken here for some reason. <laughs> um, but back in the early days when uh, uh, Neighbours was was, was uh, ABGR, um, it didn't enjoy much traction uh, to to start with. Um, but I was doing work with uh, with Cedar, and, and we found it a really useful tool. Uh, with building owners, um, basically uh, we would um, uh, do a self-rating of their building, find out where their building stood, and then we could use that uh, to uh, prioritise where the the efforts were going to be. So if we had a building that was poorly performing, mm -hmm. um, we knew there'd be some some pretty good and easy easy wins. And um, th this was happening with other Cedar partners as well. Um, and uh, a lot of the property owners uh, began to realise that this was, this was actually quite a good tool and that, that it could give them a competitive uh, edge in the, um, in, in the marketplace. Um, a lady called Sue Salmon uh, started to um, uh, run the CEDA programme for the, for the New South Wales government. Mm -hmm. She was absolutely brilliant. She, yeah. um, she played off the <laughs> different property managers. Uh, so I, I can remember going to a meeting uh, with her, with with one of the big property companies, and and uh, uh, she telling the um, the company, well, look, you know, you really should embrace neighbours because, and she named another uh, another company. They're they're uh, they're looking at it very seriously, mm -hmm. uh, and then we went over the road to the other company and said, well, you really should uh, embrace neighbours. Uh, so and so's uh, looking at it very seriously. Yeah, um, and uh, it 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 got people um, got people moving. Uh -huh. But I think what really really excites me uh, about Neighbours is um, what it's actually done for the uh, uh, for the uh, energy efficiency of Australian uh, buildings in particular because that that's where it started. Yeah, um, it is a performance rating system. It doesn't care what you say you are going to do. It only measures the the end results and it benchmarks you against your peers. Mm -hmm. So there are lots and and certainly back in the. Um, uh, Back in the, um, uh, the, the the early 2000s, there were a lot of designers out there that were coming out with uh, a lot of what you and I might call greenwash, mm -hmm. um, you know, and super green buildings and all of that. And neighbours said, "Well, we don't care what you say. Let's let's measure it." Yeah. And um, I think it was an eye opener to a lot of lot of designers that that in th on paper you you think you're designing something that that's going to be a high performer. Um, but in practice, uh, it requires uh, uh, quite a lot to get it to be a high performer. Mm -hmm. um, if we look at uh, how Australian buildings perform against other buildings uh, around the world, um, yeah. and, and you look at the um, global real estate uh, environmental um, uh, benchmarks, yeah. there's been daylight between Australian building performance and, and other uh, and other countries, mm -hmm. it's great to see that those other countries are starting to catch up. Yeah. But um, you know, we, we absolutely lead the world in in this uh, yeah. uh, in, in, in in this area, 
and um, I, I think Neighbours has been an absolute fundamental mm -hmm. uh, part of that. And you roll out some uh, teaching of this as well, don't you? You go to um, around Australia and, and New Zealand, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, so um, uh, back in, I think it was 2006, um, uh, I was asked by um, uh, Office of Environment and uh, Heritage in, in New South Wales to um, consider being one of the one of the neighbours' trainers. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I've been doing it ever since. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And when... Uh, when uh, New Zealand uh, adopted um, Neighbours, um, I had the opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to go out there and train uh, some of our uh, New Zealand uh, counterpart. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I was ju there just last week doing yeah. a training session in Auckland. Mm. Brilliant. Um, so Steve, you represent Sibsi in Prime, a coalition of stakeholders from within the Australian heating, ventilation, air conditioning and refrigeration industry. In your opinion, what is the next challenge for Prime to tackle? <laughs> um, well, the first thing is to get a bit more unity amongst the industry. We, we, we started off with, with uh, a lot of, uh, lot of groups coming together, um, which you absolutely need. I mean, it is, uh, um, you know, one, of the, one of the problems, I think, we as uh, uh, people involved in the, um, in, in, in the engineering and delivery of uh, uh, the built environment um, face is is that we're very very fragmented there are lots and lots of different associations and groups um, representing the, the the interests of their, their various constituents mm. uh, and because we don't talk with uh, with a um, uh, from a, a kind of common um, base um, it doesn't count for much so one group might have um, um, you know two or three thousand members Another one might have a thousand members individually. It yeah. doesn't mean much. Um, when you come together um, uh, and and you uh, represent a much larger uh, constituency, you can have a lot more say. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, um, um, Prime's had a couple of a couple of setbacks where uh, some of the groups of of um, I suppose it's akin to picking up the ball and saying I'm not going to play anymore. Uh, and, and, and have gone home, and that's a real shame. I accept that uh, you know we all do have different views, but um, uh, and, and we can't all um, uh, can't all uh, espouse exactly the same views. Um, but we've got between us all, we've got a huge amount of common uh, ground, a huge amount of common interests, and um, yeah. uh, that's a key thing. Uh, that said, the, the, the people that are left in, in, in Prime uh, have some fantastic initiatives that are being worked on. Uh, and and um, Phil Wilkinson from uh, ERA is an absolute stalwart in this, uh, uh, in, in, in the, the, this capacity. Uh, a really enthusiastic guy um, mm -hmm. who's um, uh, really helped to uh, focus the, uh, uh, focus the, the, the team. Um, uh, and uh, th th there are some others in, in, in Prime that uh, also should uh, uh, should certainly be um, uh, recognised. One of the initiatives I've, I've um, been involved with was commissioning. Mm -hmm. um, Prime put up an excellent submission to have commissioning embedded into the um, the building codes. Unfortunately, um, it was not accepted on the grounds that. Um, cleverer people than us do not consider commissioning to be a building activity. 
which I have to say I find quite extraordinary. That's ridiculous. Um, but um, who am I to argue? <laughs> uh, so um, uh, rather than uh, taking that lying down, um, Prime Group are, um, uh, are looking now at creating uh, an Australian standard for commissioning. Yeah. And, uh, and hopefully um, with time uh, we can get that up and running and, and maybe the standard could one day be picked up by the, uh, uh, by the building codes. Yeah, Terrific, Steve. Um, it, obviously, you've been involved with SIBSI for some time now, and you've served as the past New South Wales Chair, and you're currently the Regional Member Secretary. But for those who are not aware, back in the day, you also served as the Regional Chair from 2004 to 2006. And in 2010, you were actually awarded a silver medal for your services to the institution. And if that wasn't enough, you also find time to participate in the professional competency review interviews. So to paraphrase John Cleese, what's SIBSI ever done for us? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. No, no, that's not true. Look, um, I, I do feel, um, I, I, I do feel uh, that this is. Uh, um, uh, well, look, I think we're not in a job. You know, we're we're we're, um, uh, we're, we're in a vocation, and uh, it's it's so important mm-hmm. um, that people within our. Um, uh, in our uh, industry are, are properly educated, properly informed, uh, continually educated, and SIBSI plays a major role in that. SIBSI is all about um, empowering the, uh, the, the building services engineers yeah. uh, through knowledge and through opportunities to share experiences mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, you know, th- there are a lot of people that um, see their, um, uh, you know, see themselves in a job. They'll do their job, and and, and that's it. Yeah. I actually think um, engineering is uh, has a higher calling, uh, and I and I think um, it's absolutely vital that uh, uh, engineers um, play a role in organisations like uh, uh, like like SIBSI uh-huh. uh, to to um, continually help others to um, uh, to improve. Brilliant. So, Steve, I noticed that you have, um, well, you're a bit of a, a, a LinkedIn tart. Would you? <laughs> would <Steve> you? Tart. <laughs> <laughs> well, do your posts ever attract trolls? Yeah, look, I, 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 it, it is true that I'm, I'm, um, I, I have a bit of a LinkedIn presence. <laughs> um, that's because I could never get any friends on Facebook. Oh. Uh, so I thought, well, <laughs> you know, um, oh. this would be easy. And, and look, I do write the um, I do write the odd um, odd article. Um, it's interesting that you, you mentioned uh, Alan O'Brien and his ethics one because oh, yeah. I've just had a, an article um, or, or just a little post actually, and it was um, and it's attracted more attention than anything else I've I've done in years. And it was um, uh, it was just a, it was a question about ethics. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's pleasing to see that um, engineers take this uh, quite seriously. Um, so some of you will have um, uh, read in the paper that one of the uh, one of the major engineering um, organisations recently won the, um, uh, the the contract to design the railway for the new Adani um, uh, coal mine in uh, in, um, uh, in northern Queensland, and um, I, I'm sure that anyone who's in, involved in uh, sustainability um, would, uh, would would tell you that uh, th- this coal mine. Um, poses some um, uh, serious, um, or raises some serious questions a- a- around um, sustainability going going forwards. It's um, going to be the largest coal mine in the world. 
is should we really be using coal, so on and so forth. And I, I just posed the question. I wasn't uh, um, particularly espousing a particular um, uh, position, but I posed the question, is it ethical um, for engineers to be involved in, in projects like this that, that will uh, no doubt um, contribute uh, significantly in a detrimental way uh, to, to the lives of uh, everyone. And um, the mix of opinions that came out was, was, was very, very interesting. I was, <laughs> so, I was quite surprised. But fortunately, no one, no, there were no death threats or anything, <laughs> um, anything like that. But there was certainly um, a, a very broad um, range of, uh, uh, of, 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 of opinions, some of which I have to say I wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't uh, expecting. Yeah. And how many hits did you get, Steve? Um, about just under 16,000. Is that all? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, given that my other, uh, <laughs> my other ones would, would struggle to make uh, two or 3,000, I thought it, was, uh, <laughs> thought, thought it was quite... But yes, you're right. I'm not up there with, uh, 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 with, with some of our celebrities. Uh-huh. Maybe I will be after this uh, podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, it says in your CV that you're, you're of the opinion that it's never been a better time to be a building services engineer. So why, why on earth do you say that, Steve? Um, well, there are so many challenges that, that, that we, we face, and um, a lot of this uh, revolves uh, around environmental mm-hmm. um, issues. Buildings, uh, in, in particular, are, are a significant um, uh, consumer of energy. Yeah. And uh, I actually think that, that building services engineers in particular um, uh, can play a very, very significant role uh, in, in helping to reduce that, uh, uh, that, that impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think um, a lot of the skills that building services engineers have, um, uh, have, have yeah. not been fully utilised by the, the, the building uh, industry. For example, when I, when I um, came here, mm-hmm. I remember in the UK, we, uh, as part of our um, education, we learned a lot about orientation of buildings, correct selection of materials. Yeah. Um, passive uh, d- design and so on and so forth and, mm-hmm. and um, that really hasn't been or, or, or up until recently hasn't um, uh, been well utilised um, by, uh, by, by clients but I think that's changing so I actually think that, that um, uh, building services engineers uh, can, uh, can play a major role as saviours mm. uh, in, in, um, in, in the future Saving the planet at the same time Wow all right, Steve, just to wrap up, um, we're at the aptly named um, um, venue called the Bucket List here in Bondi, which leads me to the final question. So what's, what exactly is on Steve Hennessy's bucket list? Paul, I have trouble thinking ahead of, of tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, um, look, I, I, I can't point to anything um, uh, specific. I've got some plans for, for, for next year yeah. um, uh, that uh, I'm going to keep quiet about. Um, but look, no, watch nothing, this space. nothing specific. Watch this space. Yeah, cool. But you'll be the first to know. Oh, thanks, Steve. <laughs> so, thank you very much for joining us, Steve. You've been great fun. It's been a and pleasure Alfie, having you involved. Alfie. Oh, and Alfie as well. Yeah, thank you, Alfie. Thanks for <laughs> Alrighty, big thank you to our special guest, Steve Hennessy, and of course the delightful and always smiling Sharon Pistongi. Just to wrap up, let's recap on a few of the key takeaways from today's session. We heard how passionate and enthusiastic Steve is on sustainability and energy management. And Steve touched upon the success of Neighbours, both here in Australia and New Zealand, 
In the first in the first place was driven by government policies, both state and federal, and now it's mandated occupying space with a high base building rating. That caused owners to improve the ratings of the buildings and so they could attract and retain government tenants. As a result, the, the general share of energy consumed by base buildings has also fallen over the past decade, more than 65% of the average commercial property energy use to less than 50%, which means the roles are reversed and tenants are now the larger share of energy use, as generally it has not been coming down. So for an owner, energy is the biggest operational expense. Savings have an immediate and significant bottom line benefit. However, for tenants, the biggest outgoing is wages, so energy savings would be minor difference in operating costs. We also touched upon how each and every one of you listening can make a difference in the built environment. The building services industry has come a long way in such a short time, or especially in Steve's case, over a few decades. <coughs> <laughs> However, with advancements in technology, there has never been a better time to think out the box, take that leap and implement new and exciting technologies and then help improve how buildings perform throughout their life cycle. It's also clear that Steve personally devotes a lot of time and effort to making change, mainly due to his passion and enthusiasm, which he has in bucket loads. By being a key member of SIBSI, has obviously assisted in open doors for Steve to reach his goals to make change for the better. In particular, steel, steer fundamental changes in guidance and standards. Educating, mentoring, and encouraging the younger generation is one of Steve's best qualities, and can speak. And I can speak from personal experience in that as well too. Steve encouraged me to get involved with Sibsey New, New South Wales chapter, and then with the region probably about five years ago, which I'm very, very thankful for. And I can always rely on the wise words from you, Steve, as well, when I lean on you from time to time, when, um, you know, when I'm, I'm getting involved in political debates and stuff with our people. So thank you very much for that, Steve. It's really appreciated. For any young engineers listening, be sure to join an institution that shares your values. It's the only way to get involved is be active. So we'd encourage you to contact your local Sibsi chapter and take part. Look at Steve and myself, for example. If you've got the driving commitment, you never know where it will all lead. In future podcasts, you'll be hearing from Candice from the CSIRO, who will elaborate and provide some good news stories around the STEM project, inspiring young junior and high school students into engineering, plus the incredible efforts that they are focusing on for encouraging and promoting women in engineering too. Brett Fairweather will also be joining us to give an insight into education, training, standards, and what exactly goes on behind the scenes. We'd also like to express our thanks to our industry sponsors, ARBS, who have made all this happen. So don't forget, the ARBS Expo is coming to Sydney in May 2018, so be sure to check it out. Please subscribe to our broadcast, where you can replay previous podcasts and keep up to date with future thought-provoking discussions. If you want to find out more about SIBSI, then be sure to look us up at www.sibsi.org.au, where you can also sign up for our monthly e-news. Our show is brought, produced by Sheena Alexandra and Keith Hodgson at Bondi Radio on the world-famous Bondi Beach. Talking Buildings is a Sibsey Australia and New Zealand production. I'm Paul Angus. Thanks for listening. Join us for the next episode of Talking Buildings. Broadcasting from the world-famous Bondi Beach. Bondi Radio.